Welcome in and Merry Christmas. It's Blaine and Mickey on 104.5 The Zone with you from 1 to 3 p.m. on this Christmas Eve. Titans get it done on Thursday night football. Back in the race for the one seed and the Colts loss away from clinching the AFC South. Mickey Ryan, Blaine Bishop, a very well-deserved day off. Those guys were here very late last night on Titans Talk Back. I'm Lucas Panzica hanging out with Alex Apple for the next two hours. we got Buck Rising coming up in 20 minutes. Blaine Bishop will check in at 2.20. We'll call our shot on the way out. But Alex, how you doing, man? Merry Christmas. A little Christmas gift from the Titans last night. A little win to talk about today is always good. It's a lot more fun to come in here and talk after a victory than it is um, after a loss. I'm doing well. Uh, you know, this is a special time of year, and this is a good way to send uh, everyone off. Uh, it'll be nice to be the last uh, one of the last voices people hear before they celebrate their Titans victory and uh, hopefully a Merry Christmas as well. Doesn't get much better than that when it comes to a gift for Titans fans. Uh, they so needed it. And you were in the building. I was there. So how do you compare? We were just talking about it at the end of the Buck Rising show. How do you compare that environment to, I mean, you've been to most of the games this season at yeah. home. You were at Monday Night Football. Yeah. Uh, how do you compare? Let's stick with those two environments. The Bills Bill's on Monday Night Football. Niners on Thursday night football, Christmas Eve, Eve. It just hits different when it is a night game. Um, the LED lights, the things that they're able to do with that, heighten the atmosphere. The players feel it playing in prime time. I think the fans feel it to us in a similar respect. I mean, I, I think, you know, whether you're covering the game, watching the game, playing in the game, coaching the game, you all feel sort of a heightened sense of um, the, the special nature of that moment. How does it compare to the Bills game? Now, there was a lot more Bills fans there. So I think from a fan perspective, you felt sort of like adversarial, like we need to run these guys out of the building. I don't think you felt the same way about the Niners. It's, you haven't had to listen to the people say that the Niners are the team from your conference going to win the Super Bowl all year. There weren't as many of them there, but I thought the fans were, were good last night. I thought that they were loud. Um, I think that they responded uh, as the team responded in the second half. And I think it's been really good atmospheres in Nissan Stadium the entire season. I don't have uh, any qualms. And I'll say this. I thought the marketing team for the Titans did a great job last night. Kevin Byer, the Pro Bowler, the Kevin Home Alone video, the light show at halftime. I think that that was a really solid in-stadium experience. And the Titans are getting better at that, especially over the last five or six years. And, you know, they're probably learning a little bit from the Predators. But I thought they did a good job. It's something to it, I think, when there's more opposing fans in the building that does add to the environment. Because you're right. There is that adversarial mentality of wanting those fans to go home sad after all the money that they put into the Nashville economy. And, yes, there's a lot of Bills fans in the building. But I don't know. To me, it makes the environment just a little more special when you have a lot more opposing fans in the building that are leaving sad. I, I might be wrong. No, absolutely. And, you know, it's like the it's like the guy who's sitting on the end row that's kind of chirping at the Bills fan as he's coming up and the Bills fan's chirping back. And you get that sort of tit for tat. It's kind of like going to a road game almost, right? Any fan that's ever gone to a road game, it's kind of like you against them. You feel it, right? There's always going to be a couple of guys that have had a few too many beers that'll let you hear something's going bad. I just went up to New England with my wife. She's a big Pats fan. My dad and I were in Titans gear, you know, walking on the way out. They let you hear it a little bit. Um, all in good fun of the game, but you're right. There's a little, it, it's got to be just the adversarial nature in a way that you feel like you're competing against that opposing fan in a way. It's, it's not like the players are competing. You know, it's, I'm not equating it to that, but you get a little sense of that when there's Chiefs, Bills, Steelers. You kind of get it in all those games. A little bit of news on the front end of this show. If you missed it earlier today before we really get into last night's matchup, 
Taylor Lewan placed on the reserve COVID list that came through at about 11.30 a.m. today. Des Fitzpatrick activated from the reserve COVID list and practice squad defensive back Jamal Carter also activated from the reserve COVID list. So as you look at it now, three offensive linemen in Taylor Lewan and Roger Saffold, your starting left tackle, your starting left guard, as well as Kendall Lamb, who was in line to start at left tackle last night before testing positive for COVID. And in comes rookie second-round pick Dylan Radins for his first career start as a Titan. And we this hasn't I haven't heard this brought up all day, Alex. I think the most impactful stat, and we're going to talk about A.J. Brown, but I think the most impactful statistic of Thursday is that Nick Bosa didn't register a sack. And what was so interesting, you looked at the number of times he lined up over Quisenberry versus Dylan Radens making his first start, much maligned, second-round draft pick, hadn't, you know, got beat out. What was the guy's name? Greg Hart got a start at tackle before Dylan Bobby Hart. Bobby Hart <laughs> earlier this year. Um, it, you're not even on the team anymore. I guess I, they cut him at some point along the way. Um, and the Niners didn't line him up against um, Dylan Radens. Well, they did as it much first. As they lined him up against Quisenberry. Yeah. I think that's a major plus. I mean, I left the game. It wasn't perfect. I'm, that, it was a chop block, I think, that he had. He did get credited. We're giving up a couple of pressures. But I thought Dylan Radens held his own. He wasn't the storyline. And watching the game, unless you were paying attention to him or watching him specifically, you didn't watch the game and feel like, oh, geez, there's Radens again. Getting, you know, busted or, or, you know, put on his backside, you know, one second after Tannehill snapped the ball and it's an obvious sec. To me, that's a major plus. Maybe the guy can play. You know, you look at, he comes from North Dakota State, right? Same place that Trey Lance, the 49ers' third overall pick, who really hasn't played at all this year. Perhaps he's going through the same thing. And he was the third pick in the draft. And Raiden's talked about it after the game, where the game just speeds up. You've got to acclimate. I don't care. Carson Wentz did it okay. He came from a similar atmosphere. But when you come from that level of football into the NFL, there's an adjustment period. And you hope that Radens is a quick enough or good enough study to eventually help him. Is he going to be a starter? I don't know. But could he be Aaron Brewer, you know, the backup? And, and they kind of need a more serviceable backup there, and they've had a lot of offensive line problems. Yeah, last night kind of showed me, okay, maybe there's a chance there. And he's already, you know, <laughs> given – uh, way more service to the Titans than Isaiah Wilson ever had, and so that comparison should never be made, and it's always good to never have to be compared to him. Dylan in the Zone TV chat, Raiden's made Bosa grab a suitcase. Said, I'm packing up. I'm going to the other side of the offensive line. Which is, you know, an, for a guy in his first start, short of blocking J.J. Watt, anybody else you'd rather face? That, get much, well, that's what we were. It was, I mean, full-on meltdown mode because it broke on this show yesterday with Blaine and Mickey in the building that, you know, we knew Roger Saffold would be on the COVID list a little bit earlier, but Kendall Lamb testing positive for COVID. He he put that out at almost exactly 1, 1 p.m. yesterday. And so that was the conversation was, oh, my God, Dylan Radins gets his first start against Joey, or I'm sorry, Nick Bosa, who you would think had to be salivating at that opportunity. And you're right. Uh, he held yeah. his own a couple of penalties, uh, but otherwise you, you didn't notice him. And they gave him some help. Uh, he was part of some doubles, some tight end help as well. But uh, but overall, you know, it, they avoided disaster on that side of the offensive line, which if you told us that before kickoff, that, hey, you Dylan Ray that is going to, yeah, yeah, 100%. I honestly had to go look up the Titans depth chart to see who was going to, I mean, I was like, is it Raiden's? 
Is there somebody else that I've forgotten? You know what's also crazy about the Titans this year is you start out with some Brylo, you start out with Josh Reynolds, two guys that kind of work their way out that really could have gotten a lot of playing time in Nashville. Right, Josh Reynolds asked to be released. Sembrello did the retirement, whatever you want to call that deal. Was unhappy with being asked to, you know, play and cover for Taylor Lewan or whatever. You know, upset him. Those guys would have really been counted on. I mean, you got to think. Mm. Josh Reynolds went to the Lions, where he's had some success, but he's playing on the Lions and right? playing well. He's playing well, but he'd been the number one receiver the last three weeks. you got to think he'd have had a major opportunity on a team that's going to play in the playoffs. If he doesn't care about playing in the playoffs, uh, um, it might be better to be in Detroit. I don't know. But uh, kind of funny how those things work their, work their way uh, into being a, a, an obvious gap, you know, no sooner than those two guys leave town. And that'll be the case uh, for the near future. Taylor Lewan, as we said off the top, on the COVID reserve list, he is – Taken to social media, he is asymptomatic, according to Lawan Roger Saffold on that list as well, and Kendall Lamb. Uh, obviously, hope all those guys can get through it with little to no symptoms and be back in time. I think the Titans have. It's obviously not fortunate that any of these guys ended up on the COVID list, but when you look at the timing of it, just the way COVID has impacted this team all season. Go back to the bye week. Kevin Byard gets put on the COVID list right before the bye week. He comes off just in time to play the Jacksonville Jaguars. Roger Saffold put on the COVID list the day of Thursday night football. So obviously you missed him in that moment, but they hold up without him. They get the win in prime time. And now you've got the next 10 days to potentially Do we get know those that guys Saffold back. would have played had he not been on the COVID list? So he had been a – Luan probably not. Uh, Luan was out. He never practiced all week. Right. The COVID thing didn't come down from Luan until today. So Luan was ruled out due to the back injury. He didn't practice at all last week. Roger Saffold was a four participant, I mean, for from Monday through Wednesday. So it yeah, was so really trending yeah. towards Roger Saffold playing for the Titans. So that's why that's why the meltdown kind of came through. Because you were thinking, you know, Luan, you don't know what's going to happen there. But, hey, Kendall Lamb's a guy that started in this league. It's not ideal. Yeah. And then you you should have Roger Saffold back at left guard, he's battled through so much this season. So that's where I think the panic started to set in when they put Saffold on the COVID list, and then it just doubled when Lamb uh, got put on the COVID list. But they held up. They got the win, 20-17. You, you don't think about it, but it's kind of a mini-buy right now. I mean, for a Titans team, that you can just take all the time off you can get. It's actually amazing. Only four guys that were ruled out coming into this game. You had a little bit of a COVID issue there, but... Um, they have a chance to go into the next week against the Dolphins, maybe as healthy as they've been all year. They had Chris Jackson healthy last night. I don't think he played a defensive snap, according to the snap count that I saw. So yeah. you're going to get him back into the fold. Molden's on the COVID list. It'll be nice to have him back. I mean, you, I'm assuming, sort of operating with the assumption these guys aren't sick. I hope they're not ill. Um, but another thing you got to say, too, coming into the season, who was the least vaccinated team in the NFL? Indianapolis Colts. You wonder if their time's coming. Well, Quentin Nobody's going to be immune to it. All-pro guard Quentin Nelson is now on the COVID list for the Colts as they take on the Cardinals tomorrow. Obviously, a Colts loss uh, will clinch the AFC South for the Titans. We're going to talk about that with Buck Rising coming up next. The overall health of this team down the stretch of the regular season as they slowly but surely get back to full health or as close as you can at this point of the season. First, let's go to the Mark Spain Real Estate Hotline and bring in Ryan from Lebanon. Wants to talk about Titans fans. What's up, Ryan? Hey, guys. How's it going? Good. Merry Christmas. Hey, Merry Christmas to you guys. Um, guys, just want to give a huge shout-out to the fans that showed up last night. Uh, it was almost like a playoff atmosphere kind of stadium, and I love it. Uh, just want to give a, a big shout-out to them guys. And man, without A.J. Brown, 
I don't think the Titans win that game um, last night. Um, I mean, just that was huge out of him. Uh, so I just wanted to say that, guys. Hey, Merry Christmas. Y'all have a good one. Hey, Merry Christmas to you too, Ryan. Fans did show up last night. Play They've been good all season. Yeah. Uh, can you recall a time when you've looked at the upper deck and seen maybe like the corners didn't look full? I mean, uh, where we sit, and I go sat in the same seat for 22 years with my family and all the same people around us, Section 101, Row BB, you can't beat it. We know all the people around us. But you really can't see, especially at night, the upper deck that well. I mean, to my, to my knowledge, I, I've not looked at that stadium and had any qualms with the way that Titans fans have showed up all year. We'll talk about the health of this team, Dylan Radin's impact in his debut. Adam asks us a question about that on Zone TV. We'll address it with Buck Rising. Coming up next, it's the Christmas Eve edition of Blaine and Mickey on 104.5 The Zone. Keeping the Christmas spirit going on this Christmas Eve, this victory Christmas Eve on 104.5 The Zone. Welcome back, Blaine and Mickey, Lucas Panzica, and Alex Apple filling in on this holiday. You just heard this guy for three hours Get right here on 104.5 The Zone. Let's do it for another 15, 20 minutes. On the Mark Spain Real Estate Hotline, he is Buck Rising, joins us now. Buck, long time no see. How, how's it going? I mean, what's 15 more minutes? Why not? <laughs> yeah, why not? What you, you, I mean, what you got going on today? Yet? Like, There's nothing happening. No, me and me and the cats are just having yard time, so that's about it. So, are you going up to Indiana for the weekend? Hell no! Are you kidding me? I got to work. <laughs> that's all I got to do. What do you mean you got to work? Sure. There's no games this weekend, other than watching Colts and Cardinals on Saturday. I got to write. I got to get. I got to do a podcast here in about an hour. I got plenty of stuff to do. Are you kidding me? You guys think I, I stop working when I leave there? We were talking about this earlier today uh, with Todd Downing and the play calling in that game last night, and how. It felt like the cries for Todd Downing's job were as loud as ever in the first half of that game. Quieted down a little bit in the second half. They didn't totally go away. But the play calling was essentially the same, right, that we've seen all season for the last few weeks, et cetera, et cetera. But, Buck, you were kind of defending him earlier today. I feel like for a lot of people, that is kind of the indictment, is that the play calling has been the same no matter who the personnel is on the field. Buddy, what what do you want them to do? You want them to write a whole new playbook because they have Nick Westbrook, Aquina, and Chester Rogers instead of Julio Jones and AJ Brown? Like, I just don't think. Like, if it was a whole season, maybe you change up wholesale what we're do what what they're doing. But I mean, we knew this. Mike told us it was going to be like this. This is who they want to be. They want to run the football. They want to take advantage of play action passing windows. Play action passing windows aren't available because nobody fears your run game without Derrick Henry. And even though there are reasons that this run game should be feared, given that they've been pretty successful without him, um, yeah, they're not going to completely change everything just because the personnel has changed as drastically as it has. And I don't think anybody expected it to change as drastically as it has. You had uh, Coach Mack on earlier, and he thought the biggest, maybe the biggest play of the game that's not gotten a ton of chatter was the Jackrabbit Jenkins interception in the first half. It's kind of a hallmark of Shanahan to be really good on those scripted first plays. Um, would you describe that as the play of the game? I mean, is that what changed the momentum to you, or was it a halftime adjustment? What do you think made the difference uh, You know, in tr- kind of flipping the script there when the 49ers had most of the momentum? 
You know, I, I I don't know how much I believe in, like, the whole idea of wholesale halftime adjustments. Like, I'm not denying completely that they exist, but I think we overrate them an awful lot. Um, yeah, the, I mean, the Jenkins interception made it feel like they, oh, they, they're alive. My God, because they were dead. They were down 10 nothing. They were, uh, they were getting, it looked like they were getting ready. Um, no, I think at that point they were down, were they down 7 nothing after, seven after to that, nothing. before that interception? 7 right. to nothing. Yep. It, you thought, of course, they might drive right into the red zone and score because they're the league's top red zone offense. And instead, you get a turnover that makes you feel like, okay, like this isn't the worst. If Jack Rabbit can make a play, given the way that he's kind of been up and down for this defense, surely somebody else is going to be able to affect him. And then you know that Garoppolo doesn't do well anytime he has a turnover. Like, that's the biggest stat with Jimmy G is that he has lost six games. He's one and six when he throws a pick. Um, and it just feels like he presses in ways that once every, once everything's like not completely structured around him, the way that Shanahan seems to like to do, like he's just not, there's something there that misses that we, that weird misfire to Kyle Juszczyk, the fullback wide open. I mean, it's a touchdown wide open down the field. And Jimmy just misses him in ways that I cannot explain. I mean, there was a fourth down pass that he put way out of the receiver's reach, bounced off his hands, not able to convert there when you need a drive. Like, it's just these little miscues. And, and for once, if you're a Titans fan, you're watching that happen to somebody else's quarterback as opposed to yours because he's playing with you and me, a wide receiver. It was at least once or twice I commented to somebody during the game, it's a good thing that Jimmy G kind of stinks. Um, you know, but it's such an interesting debate. Now, we're not at practice. Don't see Trey Lance. He may never be a good NFL quarterback, may not be ready. Game might be too fast for him. I don't know. But in watch, let's just for the sake of this argument, Buck, say Trey Lance is, is going to be a competent NFL quarterback at some point pretty soon. Wouldn't you make a change if you were Kyle Shanahan? You've watched Jimmy G play just very pedestrian quarterback the entire year. I'm just surprised that hasn't come. Makes me think that Lance just must not be ready. I feel like we, I feel like we make these changes sound so, and you know, I would disagree with the idea that Jimmy kind of stinks. I just don't think he's great. Like I think Jimmy's fine. I don't think there's anything bad. They, they were eight and six before they lost last night. Like that's fine. His efficiency is fine. He's not overly explosive. He's not overly athletic. He's fine. Um, and I think that fine. If you understand where your flaws are. You made a Super Bowl with that dude. You're going to give him as many opportunities as you want because it's a hell of a lot harder to change quarterbacks. Like, I feel like people just uh, think that you up and change the position and immediately they start fitting in. I'm not saying you, Alex. I just think generally because I'm sure you speak for a lot of people. Um, that it just it, – the switch flips. And because the better athlete is now playing the position, he's better able to play the position. And we have no idea how much Trey Lance knows about – the schematics or the operation or hell, I don't think we knew about Dylan Raidens. I don't think the coaching staff knew about Dylan Raidens until last night. And I'm not saying that one sample size is enough to be like, yeah, play the guy. There's probably a lot of flaws that are going to pop up at a certain point in time, but like that's a, that's, that's the next step before a wholesale change, because that's the most important position. That's the guy that you have to have implicit trust with. And whatever Kyle may think of Jimmy's, shortcomings, I think that there's a lot more he feels comfortable with in the known than the unknown right now, especially in the middle of the season. You made a Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo, but you also made an AFC championship with Blake Bortles in Jacksonville. So, 
Go down Jags, that road. The, the Jags, you know the Jags thing is completely different. <laughs> yeah, you know what's amazing? This is totally off topic. I saw this stat the other day. Nine of the last ten years in the Jacksonville Jaguars history have been double-digit loss seasons. With, except for the AFC Except for getting to the AFC Championship in 2017. And really had the Patriots on the ropes. And let them off I the swear hook. to God, you don't listen to the three hours of radio that we do together. I gave you that stat two weeks ago. It's 50 <laughs> 50. Uh, Buck Rising brought to you by Two Rivers, Ford, home of the non commissioned salespeople. Honestly, Jimmy's worst throw of the night was probably the dropped uh, interception by Rashawn Evans, right? Oh, my God, Rashawn. That was a, there's no reason Rashawn Evans should drop that pass. That's just, that's a terrible, that's a terrible missed opportunity. Um, yeah, that was, that was a tough one. Although I, no, I think, I think it's still the use check play. I think it's still the use check mess. That, he was wild. That there was no other touchdown. That's a touchdown. I've watched that play five times back to try and figure out what in God's name could he have been thinking. And I cannot understand it. I have no explanation. What's the best way to describe Zach Cunningham's impact on the Titans in two games? Who I would say, I would say there is a institutional knowledge there of player in a familiar system in the one in the system that he was drafted into and then coaching staff with the player because he went right into that starting lineup he's playing behind a tremendous front four right now he's allowed to move a lot freely like Kevin Byard he's not having to overcompensate for a lot of problems that they have around like Kevin Byard last season uh not having to overcompensate for a lot of different things around him I I am hugely impressed with Zach Cunningham um, and his, I mean, he's just, he's a, he's a more, not instinctual is the wrong word. Cause I think Rashawn Evan is almost too instinctual. He's just a more, uh, present player, uh, athletically. He's probably not what Rashawn is, but he's just a more physically in the moment present player. And he's not much less athletic than Rashawn. He's still really really freakishly fast and he's always around the tackle and he hits so damn hard in a league where it's so hard to get squared up contact on people like that right now i uh i cannot i cannot believe that he made it past past probably what 25 teams in waivers and landed on this roster but there could not be a more seamless fit yeah you talk about all the bad luck titans have had with injuries this year but talk about falling ass backwards into a gold mine with Zach Cunningham, would be super interesting once David Long comes back, how they sort of fit the rotation of uh, what is now four guys that can play a position at the beginning of the year. We weren't sure if they had any, right? And they were going into next year with none of those guys under contract. You wondered, you hoped, you know, David Long or Monty Rice steps up. I mean, now they're sort of at a position, um, I guess you would call it a position of strength, right? Are you surprised that he's sidelined Jay on as much as he has? And that's not to, you know, discredit what Jam Brown is still doing to impact the game. But, I mean, it's been Cunningham and Evans, and no question that's their top two right now. No, I mean, I reported that back in October that Jayon lost his starting job to Long. Like, they, they, they do this hot hand thing, and whoever's playing the best ball right now, that's who's on the field. So that's, that's not surprising to me at all. And, and Jayon, you know, I think Jayon – Chan has been a good to at times great player in Tennessee and people love him because he loves people and he loves to be out there. But, you know, to, to overvalue Jayon, I think is kind of where we, where we let the name of a player kind of overtake what they've been. Not saying that he's bad by any stretch of the imagination, but like, it's not like you can, you can't live or find another Jayon Brown and they did it with David Long. So, um, the, the rotation question is interesting, and they they kind of do the rotation thing now because Jayon's their nickel linebacker, 
and they take the other two guys off the field. And, I mean, David doesn't quite cover, at least at this point in his career, he doesn't quite cover as well as Jayon, but maybe with more football and just how slippery he is to work with or try and block up on the second level, I think that he can be just as good. So they have, I mean, all three of those guys, uh, including Monty Rice, they're under contract for at least all through 2022. So Rashawn and Jayon, they're kind of disposable. Uh, in a way that you, I mean, I don't know that I'm surprised by, but it's kind of nice if you're a Titans fan to think about, okay, at least inside linebacker or something, I don't have to worry about the draft this year again. At the beginning of the season, if somebody had asked you, what is the ceiling for the Titans defense? Like, what is the best that they can be? Have they hit that yet? Are you surprised with how well they're playing? Would you have said they could play this well? Where would you have come down on that? I mean, it's tough to play better than letting the, your last three opponents score 12 points per game, no matter who you're talking about, even if it is the stinky Jags with Trevor Lawrence. Um, you know, I don't – I mean, they're they're special. There's no question they're special. And we haven't seen – we've seen stretches where all four of the, the front four guys have played together, and Bud seems like the abdominal issue is, is not bothering him enough um, to, to cause, like, legitimate – issues with his production jeff and i mean i i'm in i'm in football i'm in football love with Nico autry i really am i cannot get enough of that dude he is for all the noise and stink about famous players and pro bowl snubs like Nico autry is what you think of or at least what i think of when i watch that he impacts every play that he's in there he takes advantage of every matchup he does the gritty work to set up the pick for jeff to loop around and get the sack like he is, he is, I mean, he's the most important addition to this football team this season. I, I defy anybody to go at me on that. He's been so, so good. So as long as they've got that pass rush, man, they can, they can do whatever they want to. And it's allowing that secondary to capitalize on opportunities like they did during that six game win streak. Buck rising with us. Buck Adam in the zone TV chat asks with all the offensive line woes, what did they see or not see in Raidens to get him out there earlier in the season? Would you run out of questions for me? You got to take zone TV chat. <laughs> yep. Lazy. Uh, what did they not see? Well, that's the, that's the weird part about the whole Dylan Raines. I have no idea how they feel about Dylan Raines. Yeah, that's why it's really a good don't. question. Because now we're sitting here like, wait, that, was, that wasn't that bad, right? They could have used that. No, I, well, I, I had, well, yeah. I mean, but again, it's one game. Like, let's not get crazy. And I talked to a couple people um, that kind of walked me through what the game plan to help protect him look like. I mean, hell, we talked about it with Coach Mack, right? The schemed-up protection that Todd Downing had because they were in third and I mean, third and 15-plus, an outrageous amount of times last night, and they had ways to make the play work without putting too much pressure on the offensive line. I, so, so to answer his question, I mean, honestly, I don't know. It kind of goes back to the Jimmy G, Trey Lance thing. Like, I don't know if they knew exactly what he was. I think that sometimes, and I'm not, I don't know this to be so, but I think that a lot of times if you're, you're, you fear more the unknown and the potential for disaster as opposed to what the upside could be. And we have Dylan Radens, right? Dylan Radens and Trey Lance and Caleb Farley and all these crazy opt-out players that we had because of the, the weird COVID uh, college football season last year there's a lot of things that are 
legitimate unknowns and guys who have played such precious little football that you're not sure how much they can handle at that speed of the game before you see it. And, I mean, listen, they did it with Nate Davis in 2019. They tossed him out there in the fourth, in the middle of the fourth game of the season, and it was shaky, and it wasn't great at times, but he he's turned out to be a serviceable guard. He was fantastic last year, had two pretty good games, um, but has otherwise been kind of a kind of a disappointment this season. Long story short, I don't know that they knew, and I think that the fear of the unknown and what is already problematic on the offensive line, I think that that can cause you to be almost stuck with what you're doing until you're forced to make a decision on it. Gary Patterson at TCU used to always tell us I judge my quarterbacks on Saturdays. He'd say, I don't know if this guy's any good. I've only seen him in practice. I mean, maybe Raidens is a guy like that that you judge on Sunday and good for them for, well, I guess, finally got him some action. They had no other choice. One last question for you, Buck. Colts Cardinals this weekend. Cardinals get embarrassed last week by uh, the Detroit Lions. Uh, you got any expectation for that game? Do you expect the Colts to win that? I mean, based on how the Cardinals are playing with no DeAndre Hopkins, looked a little bit like a different team. Yeah, no, I mean, turns out he matters, just like A.J. Brown matters. Um, with, Quentin Nelson just went on the COVID uh, reserve list for the Colts. And the way that, the way that Detroit beat Arizona – um, was not necessary. I mean, Jared Goff played a good game and was moving the ball pretty efficiently. But the way that they beat Arizona is Dan Campbell just said, you know, to hell with it. I'm going to blitz the holy hell out of you. I'm going to beat you one-on-one up front with guys who have no business being in an NFL football game. And I'm going to blitz the holy hell out of you. And he's playing with house money because they've got two wins and he can. It worked. Um, Indy doesn't, Indy doesn't outright like send pressure like that that often. So I don't know that they're going to be able to overwhelm Arizona the way that Detroit did. I don't know how many times that game plan that Dane Campbell had wins, to be honest with you, um, out of the one time that it did. But Indy is super physical on both sides of the ball. Cardinals are a finesse team um, by any by any definition. The matchup would favor Indianapolis, but, again, their best – I mean, I would say their second-best offensive player behind Jonathan Taylor – just went on the COVID list, and the Titans, I mean, have three offensive linemen themselves. We have no idea what this result is actually going to look like when we finally get to the game. Colts lost, clinches the AFC South for the Titans. Kickoff tomorrow at 7-15 between Colts and Cardinals in Phoenix. Buck, appreciate it, man. Merry Christmas. Goodbye, friends. It's like the 17th time you said Merry Christmas. Let me alone. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Weekend, Buck. Okay, bye, guys. Let's squeeze in Jason from Nashville here. I want to talk about the Titans game from last night before we hit this break. What's up, Jason? Hey guys, how are you? Merry Christmas to you all. You too. To you. Um, just wanted to touch on a little bit uh, about what Buck said. I, I, I couldn't disagree more uh, about what um, how teams make adjustments. Um, if you did, if you didn't see an adjustment last night from our defensive coordinator and our offensive coordinator, uh, then you're blind. Um, what they did was is we were running the ball uh, about 80% of the time in the first quarter, and then we flipped it in the second half, um, a la A.J. Brown. Um, we were force-feeding him against a rookie cornerback, uh, so we finally realized that we could take advantage of that situation. And I think that's what, uh, the reason why we won that game. Um, just to touch on that, uh, and on the flip side, um, I don't know who does the voting, but Danico Autry – um, Jeffrey Simmons and 
not only Bayard, but um, how do those guys not make the Pro Bowl? I'll hang up and listen. Thank you guys so much. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Hey, you too, man. Thanks, Jason. Add in Harold Landry. Yeah. Well, the reason is because it's basically a Twitter vote and a hashtag contest. Yeah. Right? I mean, that, I, I mean, and a lot of NFL fans don't give a rat's behind about watching the Titans week in and week out. Well, they don't know. This is the how problem. Good those guys are the problem. We we can't spend weeks and weeks because we the Pro Bowl gets bought up, brought up, and we say, "Oh, we don't care about the Pro Bowl. The Pro Bowl is irrelevant." And then we get all pissed off when certain players don't make the Pro Bowl. Like, just it doesn't matter. Un- well, unfortunately, it does because that does have an impact on like their all legacy. Pro is the better honor. Sure. Uh, oh, by a, by a mile. But whenever you look at, you know, players' legacies after their career, three-time Pro Bowl or so-and-so, five-time Pro Bowl or so, it, it definitely has an impact on their legacy in the league. It obviously has a financial impact with bonuses and everything that comes with that. Uh, so I hate that it does matter in that sense. But people that complain about it are also people that, you know, probably didn't retweet a hashtag Harold Landry for Pro I complained Bowl, right? about it, and I didn't retweet it. Exactly. You know, but and I think to his point And about, that's how you get to the Pro Bowl. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. And it is a popularity contest, pure, plain and simple. That's what it is. In regards to the adjustments, you know, the 49ers are kind of a weird team. They score on their first possession all the time and look like the greatest offense and Jimmy G's going to throw for 4,000 yards in that game alone. And then they, it's like Shanahan scripts these plays and the script is over and it's like, what am I, what am I going to do? They do that all the time. I've watched enough 49ers games accidentally. I mean, I don't know why I found myself watching them. I had playing a two quarterback fantasy league, have Jimmy G. That's probably why. I mean, he's a terrible disappointment, <laughs> but they don't, they get into these games, they get up seven to nothing, and then they stop scoring. So I don't know that we necessarily made a defensive adjustment, but interestingly, offensively, I think it's the first team that after watching the Titans play the last couple of weeks came out and said, we're not going to let them run the ball. We're going to make you throw it, and the Titans were able to do it. Whereas in the past, it was like, well, you're not going to throw the ball, and you can run for 200 yards. Patriots did it, and uh, who did they just lose to last week? The Steelers did it, and the Titans couldn't score off of that. And part of that's turnovers, but uh, sort of a flip of the script there, and I thought the Titans handled it well. It, I mean, it helps to have the best receiver. Marcus Mariota threw a game-winning touchdown to Andre Johnson one time. He, his quote after the game was, I looked up, and he was the only Pro Bowler, I, I mean, Hall of Famer I saw. Yeah, well, Ryan <laughs> Daniel looked up, and there was only one Pro Bowler on the team, and uh, well, he's actually not. No, he's not. Um, you know, that but was the close just... thing as the Titans had, and A.J. Brown made a huge difference. Let's talk about that coming back. I want to know from people, if you've been a Titans fan your whole life, where does that performance from A.J. Brown up there. Stack up with single-game performances by a wide receiver in Titans history since the franchise moved to Nashville. Not, it doesn't even have to just be stats, but coming off the injury, off IR, the offense that was struggling, and basically single-handedly reviving the offense. Where does that stack up to you in single-game wide receiver performances in this franchise's history? Let's talk about it. Let us know. 615-737-1045. It's Blaine and Mickey on 104.5 The Zone. Merry Christmas. Welcome in. Blaine and Mickey, 104.5 The Zone. Lucas Panzika, Alex Apple with you on this Christmas Eve. Talking Titans over 49ers, 20-17. to 17. The final, Randy Buck, 44-yard field goal in the dying seconds. Little bit of news. Taylor Lewan has been placed on the COVID list by the Titans. They have activated wide receiver Des Fitzpatrick 
off of the COVID list. The Colts have placed all-pro guard Quentin Nelson on the COVID list ahead of their game tomorrow in Arizona to take on the Cardinals, 715 Central. You can hear it right here on the zone. A Colts loss clinches the AFC South for the Titans. couple more headlines here, Alex. Nick Foles getting the start for the Chicago Bears this weekend. And Tyler Huntley and Lamar Jackson both out of practice today. Jackson still dealing with that ankle, Huntley with an illness. So in that case, I have no idea who starts at quarterback for the Baltimore well, Ravens. We've, we've got a TV here in the studio, and I was just well, looking up at it for, I don't know why, because of ADD or something. Uh, <laughs> Bengals have a 40% chance to win that division now. Ravens now in second, 35%. They lose the next game. I'd love to see what that would change to. Uh, they're hurting. They've just been a weird team all year. I mean, do you... They're still like the last team I want to see rolling into Nissan Stadium to play us, you know, the Titans in a playoff game because I'm so sick of watching the Ravens play the Titans in a playoff game. But uh, I'm not sure that they, they don't seem to have the mojo. Maybe it's a mojo thing, a feel well, thing for me right now. You know, as, as bad as the Titans have had it, the Ravens have had it bad. I mean, they lost all their running backs before the season even kicked off. Marlon Humphrey's gone for the year. Lamar Jackson missed his first ever game due to injury last week. So, uh, yeah, it's John Harbaugh battling through a lot there. Both 8-6 and six, Bengals and Ravens playing this weekend. And the AFC, AFC in general. Oh, and that's who they play this weekend? Yeah, they, they go head-to-head. Head. Yeah, oh, I mean, wow. that, that okay. game could they decide the AFC North. But, I mean, the AFC is so wide, you know, that it's one to two games across the board that you kind of got to keep your eye on all of these things. Right. But uh, let's bring it. We asked the question before the break. Where does that performance by A.J. Brown coming off IR with the chest injury, reviving an offense that had been down very bad over the last few weeks, a career-high 11 catches, also a career-high 16 targets, 145 yards and a touchdown. Just the magnitude of that performance doesn't even have to be numbers, right? Because there's been receivers with better single-game numbers in Titans history, but the magnitude of that single-game performance, where does that kind of stack up in Titans history? Curious to know what y'all think. Eric is in Nashville. He joins us. Eric, what's up? You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. <laughs> you really are a heel. You're as cuddly as a cactus. You're as charming as an eel, Mr. Grinch. You're a bad banana with a greasy black peel. Hey, guys, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Eric. That's fantastic. pretty good, but I was wondering how long you were going to go. Well done, no, I was just going to do the first time. I know because of time I wasn't going to go through the whole thing, guys. <laughs> no, I, I, guys Eric I, is I, a veteran, I, so I appreciate uh, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guys, I have to ask this question. I wanted to ask you, because you're kind of going in the direction where I was going to go down, because you, you're going to blame Rich, but I was going to ask you after that. This, but AJ, but it was a huge performance. The only other performance I think it probably may have been big or impactful, may have been, I think it was Kenny Britt. Had over 200 yards received. I think it was against the Philadelphia Eagles. Yep, that's the only one that instantly comes to mind that has impact. But I was, but you're kind of going in a direction that I was going to go in even before you asked that question because I called earlier, but I hung up and called back when you were doing the interview with uh, that, that that you were doing. But uh, and I want you to explain this considering the circumstances of last night, the issues with the offensive line. Some of the performance of A.J. Brown after missing a few games he'd missed, Tannehill, which had been maligned for the last few weeks because of his play with, you know, three out of the last four games, his turnovers, especially Kush with the run that he had, and kicking that field goal with four seconds to go. How, where would you rank this win as far as in Titans history? Would you put it in the top ten? I'm not saying number one, of course, with the music City miracle or in the top five, but would you put last night, considering all the adversity and stuff we dealt with this, was three out of the four Possibly this win maybe clinched us a playoff spot, the adverse injuries and everything. 
where would you rank this win, especially with being Christmas? Would you put this win in history, top ten for the Titans? And I want you to ask Blaine Bishop that question too. Yeah, well, right. he's we'll coming on. It, he's coming on with us in just a little bit. Uh, what do we got? About twenty five minutes from now. <sighs> top ten. I don't know that I would necessarily put it top ten because my expectations and, and other people might look at it differently, and you may uh, disagree with this, Eric. I expected a Titans team to beat that Forty ers team. Now, Titans have gone through all sorts of crap, and we've had all those injuries and not played well of late. But uh, this Titans team should be able to beat. Uh, that 49ers team. So I had a little, I know that the Niners were favored, right? We didn't know that that was going to come to fruition before the game. I put maybe that A.J. Brown single individual performance in the top 10. Yeah. Uh, I cheated a little bit over break. I remembered this game, and I was young. It was against the Texans and the lowly Texans when they were just coming in the league in 2003. Derek Carr was the quarterback. Derek Mason had 177 yards, I want to say it was, and three touchdown performance against them. And I remember him scoring three times. I had to look up who it was against. Uh, McNair threw for 400 yards in that game. Um, but uh, as far as the timeliness... And basically doing it in one half of that A.J. Brown performance, that's top ten yeah. to me. Uh, uh, well, we'll see what Bl- if Blaine may feel differently about that. And he's got you know the, uh, the Titans history in his mind even better than, than we do probably. Um, but that was something special. Turns out his, Tannehill looks a lot different once he's got that guy. Now the thing for the freaking Titans in the offseason, get a few more. Right, you can't lose Julio and AJ Brown, and then you have Cody Hollister. Right, I know that we have the Josh Reynolds, the Marcus Johnson. I get it, I get it, I get it. But you look at like the Bucks, and I'm going on a tangent here, and I'll we'll get to the other callers. But they lose Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, and then who do they have? Well, they still have Antonio Brown coming back. They got Scotty Miller, who's a serviceable Adam Humphreys type guy. They got Jalen Darden, a rookie that they just drafted. They've got Brashad Perriman, who's a great burner who gives you the element to take the top off the defense potentially. They've got that depth. The Titans need that in the offseason. Well, and they are without Mike Evans this weekend, too. The Bucks are still very banged up at that position. Um, the top 10 thing in, in wins, I, f- I feel like it's almost impossible to do that without the recency bias, right? Like, we're, we're less than 24 hours removed from that win in, pr- in prime time, Christmas Eve Eve. So the recency bias, I think, puts it in that context for a lot of fans. Like, I remember when they played the Eagles, that overtime win where they converted however Corey many Davis fourth catch. downs. Corey Davis catching from the Marcus Mariota pass in the end zone in overtime to win and thinking, man, that's one of the best wins ever in Nissan Stadium. And it probably is, but right after a win like that, you're always going to think that, right? So I think it is hard to do that analysis. Uh, Eric does bring up Kenny Britt, though. That's the answer I've seen by far the most. 2010, Kenny Britt against the Philadelphia Eagles. Seven catches, 225 yards, and three touchdowns. That's an average of 32 yards per catch. I, rem- I remember. Yeah, that, that's cooking a little. And that was two. Like that was like two days after he got in a bar fight or something. Like, I mean, got, and that was he got in trouble that his week. career. And now here's another oh, yeah. one. This is a little Titans trivia for the the longtime fans. In that Mason game I mentioned, it was also the best game of Tyrone Calico from MTSU's career before he got horse collared by Roy Williams, the Cowboys. Four catches, 92 yards. Never had 92 yards again. What is how does that performance by A.J. Brown stack up with single-game performances by a wide receiver in Titans history? We want to hear from you. Hour 2 coming up next. We've got loaded lines. We're going to get to all of your calls coming up on the other side. It's Blaine and Mickey on 104.5 The Zone.